This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's a transformational change. The government is raising the eligibility age for old age security. I'll have all the details, the fallout, and what it means for you and your children. It's the show everyone is talking about, Downton Abbey. We're just days away from the Vision TV premiere of the second season. Today we'll hear an interview with John Lunn, the man behind a very important aspect to bringing the show to life, the music. And earlier this week, Earl Scruggs, famous for his game-changing approach to the banjo, passed away at the age of 88. We'll take a look back at his impressive career and hear some of his iconic songs. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Here at home, great news about a campaign we told you about a few weeks ago. Dale Goldhawk of Goldhawk Fights Back spearheaded a drive to save the Canadian Air and Space Museum, which houses historic aircraft like the World War II-era Lancaster bomber and a replica of the Avro Arrow. The museum was facing eviction from its Downsview location March 31st, yesterday. At the 11th hour, Dale told us a deal came through. Well, I'm kind of jumping up and down, Libby, and I must say I, I can't really say much in absolute detail, but I know for a fact that the Canadian Air and Space Museum has found a what looks like a wonderful new location for the museum. Okay. Not all of the I's are crossed, I's uh, are dotted and T's are crossed at, at the moment. Soon they will be. And good health news for Zoomers. A new set of studies finds that mental abilities can be boosted well into our older years and enhancing cognitive prowess later in life could influence our openness to new experiences. Researchers at the University of Illinois split people from 60 to 94 years old into two groups. One was assigned a 16-week course of brain puzzles completed at home. The other wasn't. All participants took tests that measured their reasoning skills both before and after. The group that did the brain games scored significantly higher on inductive reasoning after the study was over. The other group's scores did not change. The participants were also tested on ingenuity, intellect, creativity, and the ability to catch on to new ideas quickly. At the end of the study, those who had done the brain challenges scored slightly higher in all of those areas. The first volume of a cancer cell encyclopedia has been published and it could be a huge resource for creating new drugs to fight the disease. American, British and European researchers created the Cell Line Encyclopedia by cataloging genetic and molecular profiles for almost a thousand human cancer cell lines. They then detailed how hundreds of different cancer cells 
respond to anti-cancer agents. This data, published in the journal Nature, is said to be a big step towards tailoring cancer medicine to a patient's genetic profile. And finally, a German Zoomer's impressive acrobatics performance has gone viral. 86-year-old Johanna Quas displayed grace and agility as she performed her floor routine at a pre-Olympic gymnastic event. She did multiple forward and backward rolls, cartwheels, even a full handstand. If that wasn't enough, she also performed a demonstration on the parallel bars, which included a very difficult plank, a maneuver that requires a great deal of skill, strength, and balance as the body is held parallel to the ground for an extended period of time. You can view both of Johanna's impressive routines on our website, zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Starting in 2023 and ending in 2029, we will gradually increase the age of eligibility from age 65 to 67. This gradual approach will enable younger Canadians to plan ahead with confidence. Raising the eligibility age for old age security to 67 is the most controversial part of the federal budget that came down on Thursday. If you're now 54 years old or over, you'll still collect the benefit at age 65. If you're between 50 and 54, you'll get it around the age of 66. And if you're under 50, you'll have to wait until the age of 67. It's a long phase-in period, but that isn't making it any more palatable for CARP's VP of Advocacy, Susan Eng. Susan Eng, thanks so much for joining us. You're just back from the budget lockup. What is your reaction? Well, I'm very disappointed. Our group already gets their OAS. Most of them are over 60, 65, and certainly over 55, and these changes are not going to affect them at all. So we asked them again, uh, well, why does it bother you? You're not going to be affected. Well, they said, not only for my children, but for other people's children. This is a matter of Canadian values, and they see this as an important part of the social safety net. Who wins, who loses? Well, bottom line, those who are well off will do just fine. They will have time to plan. They can change their circumstances. It's the lower income who are going to find it difficult. For those people on federal government assistance, they're actually going to extend their assistance those two years so that there is no gap. For people who have CPP disability insurance, which also used to end at age 65, they're going to uh, consult the provinces to get them to agree to change the CPP rules so that those disability pensions will also go further. But then for everybody else, that there's, there's, there's no provision. They actually anticipate that those others who need that support are going to go on welfare. They will have to apply for welfare, and unless the provinces come up with a plan to replace the full amount of OAS and GIS, people are going to be short. Now, there is, of course, the added stigma of applying for welfare. At the other end of the spectrum, they're allowing people to defer receiving the OAS in exchange for getting a higher payment. They're allowing them to defer it for as much as five years. And I'm imagining that this will help some people who are continuing to work and earning money and whose OAS would be clawed back anyway. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, But don't forget, they've constructed it to be revenue neutral and actuarially accurate, which means that you don't get to win. The house always wins. (laughs) (laughs) 
On that note, Susan Eng, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. As we said, everyone was expecting this measure, and economists think it was inevitable. I had a chat with Derek Burleton, Deputy Chief Economist with the TD Bank. The phase-in date for the uh, the OAS change, raising the retirement age from 65 to 67, maybe over a longer period than had been expected. It now doesn't fully kick in until 2029. So anybody under the age of 50, uh, over the age of 54, rather, won't be affected by it. So, uh, which probably does line up well with uh, sort of the, the the peak of the baby boom. So a lot of Canadians will be immune from that regard. You're pointing out it's very interesting that most baby boomers, the peak of the baby boom, will not be affected by this. So my question is, if not, what's the point? Wasn't the whole problem that there are so many baby boomers? I mean, it's a good point. I think the government uh, in the end has decided that uh, just to phase it in over a longer period of time, perhaps politics went out a, a little bit over over sort of the economics of it. But, you know, again, Canada's in reasonably good fiscal shape. So, you know, I think that provides the government with a little bit of a cushion to maybe go slower on some of these reforms that we're in other countries are going to have to move quicker on because they're not uh, in as good a fiscal shape. Was this sort of lining Canada up with what's happening in other countries in terms of raising the age of eligibility? Absolutely. In fact, Canada is one of the last countries uh, uh, among the G7 to be moving. Uh, I mean, the United States has already pushed up uh, other countries as well. So, you know, you look around the advanced world. So it is an international trend. uh, And that's you know, perhaps the biggest driver of it. Again, one could argue Canada's in better shape, and they didn't need to announce this now. But I think the federal government was just part of its decision that it was going to make this a very much a long-term focus budget, and that fit in with that mandate. And uh, again, you know, to the extent that they can contain some of these costs over time, uh, there will be uh, benefits in, in terms that it will free up money for other purposes like health care. And I'm sure by 2025, health care expenditures are going to, the pressures there are going to be very significant. Okay, Derek Burleton, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Libby. A final change to tell you about. When the changes are in place, Zoomers won't have to take the trouble to apply for OAS. The government will enroll them automatically. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. That's music from the hit television series Downton Abbey. It's one of the many well-thought-out details that makes the show as incredibly popular and successful as it is. In just a moment, we'll be joined by composer John Lund, the man behind the stunning soundtrack. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Do you recognize that piece of music? If so, you're probably one of the millions of people, including me, who are obsessed with the British television drama Downton Abbey. The show is an international smash, captivating audiences with the incredible detail that goes into the stories, costumes, and, of course, the music. The second season of Downton Abbey will premiere on Vision TV this Wednesday evening at 9. Earlier this week, our own John Vendriel spoke with John Lund, the man who composed the brilliant soundtrack. What I find interesting about the music for for Downton Abbey is that 
although the show is set first at the time of the sinking of the Titanic with season one and then season two, the entry into World War One, the music itself that you've written is really not of the period. Uh, no, it's not. And a lot of the music of the period is quite melodramatic. It's kind of too melodramatic for an audience these days. Part of what I'm trying to do is guide the viewer through the storytelling. The music, you know, from 100 years ago, you know, the harmony was constantly moving all over the place. Whereas what I've done is sort of simplify it. And that's kind of why it sounds modern. Well, do you think that that's part of the reason for the popularity of the show itself? Besides the, 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 the great character development and the storyline, the music also, as you were mentioning earlier, it does have that certain contemporary feel and it helps move the story along. You know, as you get further on in the series, more and more uh, dramatic strands, you know, start to appear. And, and quite often we are cutting very quickly from one story strand to another. And what the music, I think, helps do is it kind of puts you firmly in one particular area because I think the, the music has becomes so uh, identified with not so much a character, but a relationships between characters. Now, is there music specific to a character, for instance? There's not really music specific to a character, but there's music specific to relationships between characters. Anna and Bates have several, partly because their, their story is, you know, it really is an extreme of ups and downs. There's also now, there's several themes now to do with Matthew and Mary. The house has a theme, actually. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, I've always thought of the house as a kind of character in the whole thing, as something that, you know, people kind of constantly come back to. It feels like a presence in the show. I don't know if that comes across when you're watching it. Well, I think you do. I mean, you, you always get a sense of the house looming in, yeah. in, in in every scene. And whenever I hear the music, yeah, I think of the house as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, do the character developments, as they change, as the music change as well? Yeah, I've had to write new material in Series 2. The main big story strand in Series 2 is that you know, a lot of it is set during World War One, And there's no music really in Series 1 that can handle the, you know, the depth of that. So, I've, again, I've had to write, you know, quite a lot of new material about the war because some, obviously some of the characters go off to the war. Uh, some don't and, you know, and, and, and some people die. In fact, what? quite a few people die. But that, that's not giving too much of it. <laughs> no, no, it actually it, it makes it much more intriguing in terms of uh, the character development who, and who, who, is, who is not going to be there at, at some point. Is there a favorite character or a favorite relationship that you have for writing the music? I'm, Matthew and Mary, I suppose, is, you know, is probably the big one. It's the one that requires the most thought because... What happens between them is kind of constantly changing, and it goes through, you know, quite a few different manifestations. So no one theme really works for them. It's constantly having to change, and you know, and I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that challenge. Are you surprised by the uh, 
the reaction to this series has become such a huge hit think, I, around the world. Yeah, I mean, part of, you know, I've been, I've done so many different things, and you know, I've done some things that I thought were absolutely spectacular, and and nobody's watched at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I've kind of given up second guessing what will be incredibly popular and what won't. I thought it was good when we were doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I am surprised at just how how big it is. I mean, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, Ralph Lauren used the theme music to open his new show in New York. Oh wow! Um, you know, and they had a Downton Abbey theme to you know to the close. It's obviously a good product, but it's also you know timing. Mm-hmm. It just seems that the timing of it seems to have captured people's imaginations. Listen, thank you so much for joining us and talking Your about uh, about the wonderful music for much. Downton Abbey. Thank you. Goodbye. Be sure to catch season two of Downton Abbey premiering this Wednesday evening at 9 on Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. That's the artistry of Earl Scruggs, a pioneer of the banjo. Scruggs passed away earlier this week at the age of 88. Coming up, we'll revisit his career and hear one of his most popular songs. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. There was sad news earlier this week. Bluegrass legend and banjo pioneer Earl Scruggs passed away. He was known for his unique three-finger picking style that influenced nearly every banjo player that came after him. The style helped transform the banjo from a mainly rhythmic instrument to one that frequently carried lead melodies. And along with guitarist Lester Flatt, he helped cement bluegrass music's place in popular music culture. Many Zoomers will remember Scruggs' banjo playing in the Ballad of Jed Clampett, the theme song from the CBS sitcom, The Beverly Hillbillies. The Beverly Hillbillies. Scruggs' work with guitarist Lester Flatt in the Foggy Mountain Boys brought him his biggest success. Their song, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, became a bluegrass standard and was famously used as the chase music in the movie Bonnie and Clyde. That was Foggy Mountain Breakdown, a song written by the legendary banjo player Earl Scruggs, who passed away this week at the age of 88. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next week when I talk to the man behind the controversial, groundbreaking documentary, The Jesus Discovery. Simple Yakubovich says it's proof that Jesus and his family are buried in a suburb of Jerusalem. See you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.